a trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. Yep, we've got uh, got quite a show ahead of us today. And I'm going to end the show on a positive note. So I want you to know I'm going to cover some fairly heavy topics up front here. But uh, my good friend John Pulver is going to come by and pulverize us. That's his term, by the way. It's a, it's a good one. <laughs> With some good common sense and, and I think a really timely message. Look, I'll, I'll confess, there's, there's a lot going on right now. Uh, the world just looks like it's getting crazier by the minute. I know I'm not the only one who sees this. It's, it's, you, know, you look around you and it's just like, okay, what's going to spin out of control next? I mean, you had the, the uh, state assembly in Tennessee expel two of its members yesterday and, and, and avoid expelling a third by one single vote for, uh, I'm, I'm not using this term to be, uh, you know, flippant, but for these individuals inciting a, an insurrection there on the, on the floor of their, uh, their legislature. A few days ago, this was this was, uh, you know, they led protesters in chanting for gun control, you know, anything to try to push the moment through. Like, yes, we want you on this moment to just create and and pass legislation that would disarm people who have harmed no one. And yet in in the minds of these uh, these revolutionaries and, and I don't use that term lightly either. I mean, we are seeing a very Marxist, if not Maoist vibe of, of this uh, state of revolution taking hold. And the crazy thing is, it, it appears to be succeeding in many cases. So these lawmakers in Tennessee who stood up and pushed back and said, no, <laughs> that's not going to go here. They're the exception. They are the ones who, uh, you know, they've shown rare backbone for Republicans, you know. Uh, the, you don't see this at the national level. You don't see it in many other state legislatures. And, uh, it, of course, it's just, you know, it's putting more fuel on the fire. Well, the only reason they dismissed those one, the, the two of those uh, legislators for participating and inciting this protest in total violation of, you know, the, the rules of decorum and the rules of the legislature, the only reason that they were dismissed or expelled from the legislature is because they were black. No, not quite. Although the one, the one person who missed being removed as, uh, as a legislator uh, apparently, uh, she she's white. She's an older white lady. And, and when she was asked, how come you stayed and they didn't? Well, I think it has to do with skin color. It's like, oh my gosh. That's, that's the answer to everything. Everything I don't like is racist or fascist or, you know, in some way I'm a victim and you have to do it because I'm a victim. And anyway, I won't belabor the point, but uh, you understand the, 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 I, I feel like I'm just I'm, I feel like I'm throwing hyperbole out here. Yet these are accurate terms to describe what's happening. The uh, the uh, pedophilic perverse focus on children that uh, we're seeing right now and, and endorsed at the highest levels of politics, you know, the the White House is saying now only children and their parents can can give consent as to whether or not to engage in um, they call it gender affirming care, but we're talking about sexual or chemical uh, you know castration. For the sake of trying to change a kid's gender, it's I know you, th- you think the ride's been getting a little bit bumpy. Well, hang on, it's it's going to get worse before it gets better. See, it seems like every time it seems things couldn't get more bizarre, the universe has another one of those here hold my beer moments and and uh, goes for it. I've got a great article here from John Green. This was on 
uh, AmericanThinker.com. He calls it a pandemic of cognitive dissonance. I think this is actually a really cool description. John Green says, we're facing yet another pandemic. It's not a viral outbreak. This crisis is a mental disorder outbreak, rather like mass hysteria. The outbreak has spread worldwide, but fortunately only affects those of a leftward political persuasion. The the condition, rather, he says, is cognitive dissonance. Now, according to medical news today, cognitive dissonance is the discomfort a person feels when their behavior does not align with their beliefs or values. It can also occur when a person holds two contradictory beliefs at the same time. So, as an example, condemning America for its past use of slavery while helping companies profit from the current use of slavery and calling oneself woke for doing it, that's an example of cognitive dissonance. Unfortunately, the only known treatment is talk therapy. However, the leftist preference for screaming and cancellation over debate and reason renders them resistant to treatment. And in addition, the availability of treatment is limited, as many therapists also are suffering from this condition. In fact, John Green says the infection rate among leftists is nearly 100%. Many members of the gay community live in a constant state of grievance. They complain about intolerance toward themselves. While we indulge their month-long orgy of pride every year, is there such a thing as mad gay? Because that's what the majority seems to be. Now, i got to throw this in here just, just for the sake of a little bit of being contrary. The individuals who I know who have, have told me that they are gay are not the kind of people who are out there parading and waving dildos in public and you know otherwise engaging in debauchery in full view of kids and everybody. That's not them. In other words, their private life is their private life. And, and what they want more than anything is not some big political goal. It's to simply be left alone, which, by the way, I'm in 100% agreement with them. I think that's, that's one of the highest things any of us can aspire to. Leave me alone to pursue happiness as I wish. Now, does that mean everybody's going to do it the same way? Absolutely not. As long as the behavior is peaceful then I, I say, you know, let them pursue it in their own way. And, and by the way, if people do make choices that I don't agree with, and, and I'm, I'm going to use the term that Lysander Spooner used, you know, vices are mistakes that people make in their search for happiness. They're personal mistakes that they make when they are trying to, to personally search for happiness. But that's what a vice is. It's not a crime, and I don't think it should be treated as a crime. However, I'm going to hearken back to something that William Blackstone, the guy who wrote the commentaries on the laws of England, said, about how when, when our behavior becomes a public thing, in other words, if a guy's a drunkard, but he does it, you know, in his own home, in his behind closed doors, and uh, that's where he, you know, crawls into a bottle, I believe that's a vice. I think that's a mistake, and I think it's probably going to bear consequences that will cost him in some way. And I'm not saying that like, uh, you know, it serves him right. I'm just saying that's, that's part of, of, of making mistakes. But his behavior concerns primarily him. It's when he takes that behavior out into the public square and starts to parade around, and in this case, I'm going to say, and insist that everybody around him affirm him at every turn. Okay, now he's crossing a line because his behavior is impacting people. Particularly, if that behavior is impacting children, I think society does have the right to draw a line and create public laws that would discourage such behavior. So hopefully that is not too much, well, gee, Brian, you're being pretty inconsistent with your principles of less government. Hey, I want as little government as possible, but let's understand, sometimes people do cross a line. And I think this is one of those lines that needs to be drawn. And I, I do think that uh, 
you know, the idea that, well, you know, we're just so oppressed. Same with, with the trans movement. Oh, we're so oppressed. Nobody, nobody gives us the respect we deserve for crying out loud. A person who identified as trans just murdered six innocent people a week ago. And what does the White House do? Declares a national day of trans visibility. Uh, hmm. Now, I don't, I don't think you're having quite the PR problem that you think. I think the problem is they've pushed people far enough that people are finally starting to say enough. And if they keep pushing, the, the snapback is, is coming. And it's, it's potentially going to be violent snapback. I don't think that's a good thing, by the way. But if you keep backing people into a corner, and especially if you are trying to use organized violence through the state to force them to bend the knee and to, to do this or do that, you are, uh, you're courting the possibility that it is going to come snapping back at you at uh, you know, a lethal velocity. John Green says, many members of the gay community live in a constant state of grievance. And while we're on the subject, he says, why do they call themselves queer? Assuming, or while asserting at the same time that their lifestyle is perfectly normal. That's, that's an interesting point. LGBTQ, ooh, that Q does stand for something. He says, does queer have some definition in another language that means something other than abnormal? Why do feminists claim they're fighting for female rights while they promote male superiority? By the way, uh, in, in the issue of trans rights, you know, why do people cheer when a biological male pretending to be a woman beats the stuffing out of another woman in, say, a mixed martial arts event, breaks her skull, and people cheer, what an advancement for women and for trans rights. No, you just watched a guy beat the crap out of a lady. That wasn't cool. Anyway, they support the political movement that advanced the notion that men have this right to participate in women's sports, use women's bathrooms, and be incarcerated in women's prisons. <clears throat> in fact, a well-known... Uh, self-proclaimed champion of women's rights, recently bowed to a man in drag and was celebrated for doing it. So claiming women are equal while showing subservience to a man doesn't seem like a bit of a disconnect. It's a phenomenal article. Again, this is from John Green. He says, look, when one examines the assertions of those with leftward political leanings, there can only be two explanations. So you're looking at either mental illness or malice. He says the left has built this uh, ideological belief system that is based on alternate realities and conflicting assertions. But he says it's a house of cards which is inherently flawed and will eventually fall. And it begs the question, are these folks mentally ill or are they trying to destroy Western civilization? Truth be told, I'm leaning. It's probably the latter. And, the, and again, the scary thing is they're doing a pretty good job of it. They may actually be the iceberg that sinks Western civilization. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Again, I want to remind you, John Pulver will be joining us for the second half of this hour. He has a marvelous, positive, uplifting message. And I think it's one that a lot of us could use right now as things are getting crazier. And we wonder, well, what can I do? You know, the truth of the matter is there's a lot of stuff that's just not under our control. But there is always the option of improving ourselves. And I, I agree with Andy Frizzella, who says, you know, one of the most revolutionary things that you or I could do in this time is simply become a truly excellent person. If you become an excellent individual, um, you're going to be you're going to be the kind of person who can be counted on when, uh, well, when the current uh, culture runs this thing into the ground and somebody has to build what comes next. 
I know you didn't sign up for it, but if you understand the value of, of being better today than you were yesterday, of being the best version of yourself, and I hate to break it to you, but uh, you are part of the solution. So maybe you better start acting like it. I want to talk for a moment here, just a, a quick warning. This is an article uh, I'm including in today's show notes from Daisy Luther. I know there's a lot of stuff that's going on that's keeping us distracted. But while we are distracted, there is something that we really should be noticing, and that is the dollar is dying. So the circus surrounding former President Trump, perfectly timed distraction. Banks are in a state of collapse despite a brief government-funded reprieve. We have CBDCs, central bank digital currencies, looming over us. The world is rapidly dumping the dollar. We saw more of that this week. And that's a next-level economic disaster. In fact, one of the most sobering things that I read, uh, this was yesterday, somebody had pointed out, in fact, I'm going to read this to you. I just want to make sure I get the, the verbiage right. And, and I, I got to emphasize here, I'm not trying to scare you when I say this. I want to, I want to promote independent thought, but I also want to make sure that we, we see that uh, you know, the danger here is, is very real. Um, Kim.com said that uh, the, the U.S. government knows it will no longer be able to afford its military. This is in the case of a dollar collapse. The conclusion will be to use it now or never. That's the danger that we're facing. World War III seems inevitable. The U.S. government would rather destroy the world than accept bankruptcy and punishment from its citizens and the world. I don't disagree with that. And Kim goes on to say, the, the tweet below is, is now the biggest risk in the world. The high-speed de-dollarization in global trade will make it impossible for the U.S. government to raise enough debt to function. And the U.S. military now becomes unaffordable. It will have to be used for a major conflict now or never. And I noticed the burning platform in response to this said, well, this would explain the almost desperate seeking of conflict with Russia and China simultaneously. I understand what he's implying here. That they need World War III as cover for imminent bankruptcy. Yeah, we've got a lot going on. So pay attention when, when you see countries like Russia, China, Iran, Brazil, Argentina, Saudi Arabia, UAE, United Arab Emirates, or India, dumping the dollar. That's, uh, that's a big deal. Now, what's going to replace it? Well, I'm glad you asked. Robert E. Wright who has uh, written a wonderful piece for the American Institute for Economic Research, says a CBDC would not be money in the sense that we use money in the Constitution. Really worth your time to, to check out this article. Robert says the latest fad in monetary policy circles worldwide is Central Bank Digital Currency, or CBDC, a government-created cryptocurrency exchanged on a blockchain. Now, many fear that it would give governments complete control over individuals by allowing them to track and even block individual transactions and to impose taxes at will. If you think about it, that is a valid concern. In the United States, though, he says money has a constitutional basis so firm that despite its name, a U.S. government CBDC would not be money or even currency. It could exist as one payment system among many, but uh, without violating the U.S. Constitution, it could not be forced on Americans as the sole final means of payment. The term currency actually never appears in the Constitution, but its root, current, appears once, noted in small caps below. The term money appears six times, noted in bold below. The phrase bill of credits, which is the archaic term for fiat paper money, appears just once, Underlined below, explicitly banning states from uh, explicitly banning states from issuing it. The word payment occurs twice, 
He has this in bold italics, once in Section 4 of the 14th Amendment, mandating that payment of pensions and bounties for services in suppressing insurrection or rebellion shall not be questioned. The word coin appears five times, which he notes in italics, twice as a verb synonymous with mint or manufacture, once in reference to the power of Congress to rate foreign coins, once in reference to punishing the counterfeiting of U.S. coins, and once barring the states from minting their own coins. It also limits the authority of states to mandate a legal tender to gold and silver coins only. So, let's walk through a couple of these. Article 1, Section 8 gives Congress the power to borrow money on the credit of the United States, to coin money, regulate the value thereof and of foreign coin. Now, it also gives Congress the power to provide for the punishment of counterfeiting the securities and current coin of the United States, to raise and support armies, but no appropriation of money to that use shall be for a longer term than two years. Article 1, Section 9 stipulates no money shall be drawn from the Treasury, but in consequence of appropriations made by laws, a regular statement and account of the receipts and expenditures of all public money shall be published from time to time. Then he goes to Article 1, Section 10 that says no state shall coin money, emit bills of credit, make anything but gold and silver coin a tender in payment of debts. Now, Robert Wright points out, the reasons for those policies are well understood. They're not controversial. Americans wanted their new nation to be a common currency area, so only the national government could have any monetary policy discretion. The stickier question was always the extent of that discretion, particularly the federal government's ability to issue bills of credit. Now, he says, I believe after much study that the founders and framers would have tolerated temporary periods of fiat money issuance during wartime or other major emergencies, but they would not consider a permanent fiat system constitutional. Now, that position obviously isn't the prevailing one in our time, but he says it's also not necessary to establish the fact that a CBDC is not an electronic form of fiat money or any other type of currency under the Constitution as he demonstrates in in the, the sections that he's highlighted here. All three types of money specified in the Constitution, bills of credit, foreign gold and silver coins, domestic gold and silver coins, were and remain physical bearer instruments. In other words, they are current in the sense used in Section 8 above, meaning that mere possession provides sufficient proof of their ownership. To tender current money is to turn over physical possession to another party in order to consummate a trade or pay a debt. Due to its physical nature and bearer legal status, money, as used in the Constitution, can be used anonymously as a final means of payment, or a means of final payment, rather. So can the Treasury or Federal Reserve just proclaim that a CBDC is a new payment system that people could use instead of existing payment services? Yes, he says, though it's not clear that a government CBDC will lower transaction costs enough to induce many to switch voluntarily. In other words, in America's constitutional context, a central bank digital currency is a payment system. It's a means of exchanging money over physical distance. Now, the framers were aware of the payment systems provided by 18th century banks and merchants, but wisely made them no part of the Constitution. They did not conflate checks or bills of exchange or other orders for the payment of money with money itself, and they never made deposits or even banknotes a legal tender. So can the government say that CBDC is now money and confiscate Federal Reserve notes and bank deposits like it confiscated gold during the New Deal? No, not lawfully. For all its faults, fiat paper money is similar to gold and silver coins in that all are physical bearer instruments and hence money in the sense used in the Constitution. Robert E. Wright says a CBDC is not money because it's not a physical bearer instrument, but rather by its very nature is trackable and cancelable. 
like a check or a credit card payment. So I'll include a link to his article in my show notes at thebrianhideshow.com. This is one you might want to keep uh, around just, you know, for intellectual ammunition. Should this become a topic of interest or, you know, become relevant to our concerns at some point in the near future? Which, again, it's appearing more and more like it's, uh, it's about to become. So, hopefully I don't have you too uh, wound up here feeling like, oh boy, <laughs> the sky really is falling, or at least it's, it's showing cracks. Yep, there's some pretty wild stuff that's going on, and I think it's important that we know this and acknowledge reality. However, when we come back, John Pulver will join me, and we will talk about the choices that you and I have as to what kind of person we will be. That's something we have control over. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. I am so happy to welcome my friend John Pulver back to the program. We had John just, uh, well, just a week or so ago, John, but uh, this was a conversation I knew that I wanted to continue with you because you have some great insights, both as a, uh, a counselor and as, as someone who has taught psychology, but you're also just a decent human being and somebody I respect. So I'm going to throw that in there as well. A little added pressure for you to live up to. How's that? Well, I like being a decent human being in your eyes because your eyes are very inf- are very intelligent. <laughs> well, one of the things that I wanted to talk with you about is I know I'm not the only one who sometimes looks around and and gets this little spasm of panic as as I just see there's a lot of stuff going on in the world that's alarming to put it mildly. And yet if I if I stop and think about it a lot of it is is really out of my control I don't call the shots of what China's doing or what Putin is doing or you know there's a lot of stuff here that, that I really don't have direct control over but I know that you have have given some very serious thought to the idea that uh, there are things external to us that can 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 influence how we go about living our lives who and what we choose to be versus having that internal decision that I want to be a better version of myself today than I was yesterday. And I want to be an even better version tomorrow. Where do we begin with something like this? I, the ultimate goal here is I don't want to leave people feeling scared. I want them to understand that there's a place where we absolutely do have a choice and we have some control. So maybe that's where we should focus our attention. I think that all of us are really overcome with lots of environmental stresses and pressures right now. And the nice thing that we can find from these environmental pressures, though, is that the real thing that is happening is that where we're located, the context that we're in, the experiences we have, the environment that we're in, the culture that we're within, and everything that results from all of these foster in large measure the self that emerges from us. Therefore, Therefore, if you change any of these environmental factors to create greater movement upward or greater ability to embrace your best self, that's a starting point. So we know that we live in an environment, but the question is, is what do we do with that environment to move ourselves forward? Now, in the uh, essay, which I wrote many, many years ago that thousands of students have actually written, I mean, have actually read at this point. Uh, I started it out with this idea of determining where you're going to actually go. And I took a little place uh, 
piece from the Alice in Wonderland conversation between Alice and the Cheshire, Cheshire cat, excuse me. Um, Alice is saying to the cat, oh, no, no, I was just wondering if you could help me find my way. And the cat says, well, that depends on where you want to get to. And Alice says, oh, it really doesn't matter as long as, and then the cat interrupts says, well, it doesn't really matter which way you go if you don't know where you're going. That's powerful. It's, I mean, it's I, a powerful thing. I, I so, remember hearing that that uh, that reference before, too. And, and it's the lesson there. And, and by the way, he did share this essay with me. Um, I don't know if we I don't know if this is something we could actually share in the show notes. If it is great, if not, um, we'll just have you back on the show until we <laughs> help we people can, comprehend well, it. Yes. The essay is downloadable free on the website climbingupward.com. So Perfect. you can you can you can get this for yourself. The essential message of this exchange, though, between Alice and the cat is that where you go has a path and that path has a consequence. And if you don't know the path you want to take, then you'll end up wherever you're going, wherever that may be. And so apparently, if there are different paths that lead to different places, likewise, there's probably a version A of you and then there's a version B of you. Now, at this point, you're one of those versions of yourself right now, and it's the only one you know thus far. But for the purposes of understanding this, let's call your present self your B version. And then each set of choices that you make confirms or establishes either one version of yourself or the other. Now, the A version results from maximizing the choices that leads to the greatest unfolding of your highest potential, together with seeking to embrace the experiences that will allow you to do that. And so the question is, if you're striving to be the best side of yourself, or A, that means any time you might very well find yourself in default back to your regular self. It's the only self that you know without some internal set of goals and internal motivation. You're, you're going to just continue on to be this way. So the environment sometimes needs to change in order for that to happen. Uh, and you need to try to figure out if life is an accident or not, or if you have power. And we can talk about that for a minute if you want to. Okay, I'm not ashamed to admit, I lived a good portion of my adult life kind of as that person B. Well, let's see where life takes me. Let's see where the current carries me. And it was good, but there wasn't any particular direction. I was just kind of interested to see where it was all leading. And then uh, I encountered, uh, well, I encountered a mutual friend, Dr. Shannon Brooks, who uh, pointed out that there might be another way of doing that. And it, it would involve exactly what you're describing, moving more towards that uh, that improved version of self, the one that requires effort, the one that requires actually, you know, putting, investing time and effort into becoming that, uh, that better version. And Absolutely. it made so much sense to me that I couldn't be happy just being carried with the current anymore. But it also taught a very powerful lesson. I want you to comment on this. We have a choice. There are internal or external influences that that kind of drive, you know, the decisions that we make. Help me understand the, the difference between a person who is is making choices based on something that's internal versus someone who's making their choices purely on what's external to them. Well, an easy example of this is is let's say you you own a house and you look at the economy and you say, wow, things look pretty unstable. Uh, right now, I might be able to sell this house. It'll be really inconvenient for me. 
but I, I, I want to make an intelligent decision. So I'm going to move forward and do some research. And I'm not, I'm not going to wait until the economy forces me to sell the house because everything has gone to hell in a handbasket. I'm going to actually make a decision to make a movement on my own power instead of waiting for something to happen to me. Now, one of the things that's fascinating, I think, in the, in the essay is, is how we stay a lesser version of ourselves. And if we have a minute, I'd like to kind of lay out some of those. There's about five ways I have in here. They're just sentences, so we should be able to get through them. Okay. Uh, these are some of the things that, that creates a lesser, lesser version of ourselves or maintains this lesser version that we talked about. One idea is you refuse to choose to embrace the best environmental context when you have the power to do so. You need to make a change that will promote that version A of yourself by virtue of the kinds of environment and things that are promoted within it. Another thing that might keep you down is labeling yourself as incapable of change in any, or in any matter of improvement that will then lead you to accept yourself as less than. Right now, we have a lot of labels in the society where, oh, well, I'm this or, or I'm that. And uh, that label then has often its limitations. We need to realize that no matter what we find ourselves in, we can make an improvement from that spot. Another thing is just simply taking the easier path so you can avoid work, toil, and hardship, which is exactly what you talked about earlier. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's just a lot easier to do it that way. And then the, the big one that we're having in our society right now that's terrible with this victimization is believing that someone else is responsible for the quality of your life. And it, it certainly diminishes your own personal power when you take that kind of position. And finally, if you refuse to leave an environment which downgrades your potential, it will not lead you to have the experiences that you need to have. And it's keeping you in a default. Sometimes we're going to talk also, if we have time, about how do we know we're in a place where we've got to make that change. But those are some of the ways in which we kind of keep ourselves stuck. Oh, I think this this is so timely just because, um, look, one of the hardest truths any of us is going to have to uh, consider and, and maybe accept. I've accepted this, and I'm, I think you probably accepted this too. The, the, the truth is no one is coming to your rescue. In other words, if you want things to improve, where does the responsibility fall, John? It falls directly with you, and it's 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 hard to get that it's hard to get that sense of personal power. You know, it's when you look at this business of where you're headed, and you talked about that earlier. The crucial question is simply this: you know, could I be wrong in my current chosen direction? You know, what does my direction tell me about myself? Now, we don't have any kind of crystal ball that tells us exactly where we're headed, but we can do some research, we can investigate, we can speculate about where this particular path will take us, and we can go out. Now, the problem with going out on that path is it's very frightening. It leaves you with a sense of insecurity toward the outcome. Becoming your best self is absolutely risky business. Okay, it's hold, just hold that easier thought. to take. Hold that thought. I, that we, I wanna pick up just the other side of our break uh, about this, this risky business. And, and again, John Pulver is my guest. Doesn't he have a fantastic message? We'll be back just the other side of these commercials. This is The Brian Hyde Show.
This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. My guest is John Pulver, and I will have links in the show notes if you want to check out his websites. There's a couple of them that are very worth your time, and we're talking about choosing a better path. And John, you you mentioned something here that I think just gets right to the heart of why why don't more people do it? It should be so obvious. This should be should be self evident. Well, of course, there's a better path. And if I just choose, if I make better choices, if I remove myself from environments that that prevent me from improving myself, you know, I can make those improvements. But people don't do it because, as you pointed out, it's risky. It's scary. It's hard. Let's let's pick up from there. Yes, in Christianity, the first principle of Christian doctrine is faith. And the more I think about it, everything we do is done with faith. It's all risky business. And the thing that's interesting is if we don't go out and try that thing, we'll never know if that's part of our path, if we can absolutely be capacitated to do that. You're going to live with one unalterable truth. That is, you can choose the path, but you do not choose the consequence of that path. And that's the sobering thing. The problem we have, of course, is that when we try to become all that we can be, we have this problem of the crabs in the basket syndrome. And I think you probably have have discussed that on your show before. Oh, many times. When someone tries to go to the top, then the crabs bring them down. It's that whole thing about people saying, well, who do you think you are trying this? Or how, how, why do you think you can be this? Or, no person in our family has ever done this. Why do you think you can do this? You know, there's all kinds of things that can happen. And that's why it's so important to seek an environment or mentors or people around you that give you that kind of support so that they're not constantly trying to tell you that you can't become everything that you want to try to become. Now, one of the things that happens is you have to ask yourself, how do you know you know, say you're just right here, you're always in that zone, it's the same old normal it's always been, and you say to yourself, well, how do I how do I just get myself to move? Well, you might want to ask yourself a question that was asked me at 37 years old during a midlife career change by a professor. He says, where are you going to be in five years, John? If you keep doing the same thing you're doing now, where are you going to be? He said, I think you should go get a degree, and I think you should teach college, and And I said, good grief, if I do that, I'll be 40-something years old. And he said, how old will you be when you're not going to do that? You'll be the same age. A good point. So the point is is that how are you going to feel about yourself 20 years from now if you just stay on the same path that you're at? So so that's some of the things we're talking about. I don't know that that even is an example of what you just asked. It's It's just so interesting that we have to pay attention to our emotions the good news is that we have these emotions, and they do, these are monitors of discontent that when we listen to them, they inform us that something is wrong, or at least not terribly right yet. So we have, I, when I had my students, I would say, what is, what is the thing you have to pay attention to, 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 to know that something needs to move? It's often that discontent, that boredom that sense of unsatisfaction that you have, then you know, you need to make a movement towards another path. Yeah. And I've, I've been there. I actually have a really dear friend who's kind of going through that right now. Um, just took a new job and in his heart, he knows this job is not the one for him. It's not, it's not a good fit for him. And so he's, he's got that discomfort and there's that, that sick feeling in his stomach. Like I, 
but if but if I step away from this, you know, I mean, there's there's a degree of security that he's going to be giving up. He may have to actually take a, a couple of steps back, do like a strategic downshift on the career path. But uh, the fact that he's feeling that discomfort, it's not something to just be you know waved away or ignored, right? No, it's very important, uh, and it's it's tough to listen to those emotions uh, because you, we all have them at different times. But if they become persistent, a persistent gnawing that there's something else out there for us, then we have to muster up the courage and the confidence and the support system to go into that. The, the real thing that has to happen if we're going to move to our best self or our, our version A is you're going to need a completely new context. You've got to have new experiences that you've never had. You've got to put yourself in new environments. You have to bring yourself to new associations and relationships. You have to put yourself in new atmospheres. These things all change the way you see things in your mind. And uh, so, you, as I mentioned earlier, you seek mentors, you seek people that are better than you, and you go forward the best you can. But the point is, don't stay where you're at. You don't have to be there if you don't want to be there. Every single one of those examples you just gave cannot be found in the comfort zone. Not one. <laughs> and and I'm, I am a little ashamed to, to, to tell you, it took me a very long time to learn that the best things that ever happened to me weren't taking place in the comfort zone. If I, if I wanted to see things improve, if I wanted to find out something about myself that, that I didn't know I was capable of, I had to be willing to, to get uncomfortable. I had to be willing to embrace the discomfort and move through it rather than just hang back. Well, no, no, everything's cool here. There's no way. I really, like, I really like that, Brian, because it fits with the uh, concept of, of uh, climbing upward. This business of realizing that to get out of the comfort zone is going to give us new experiences. But what is wonderful about it is we find new capacities within ourselves. We find new skills, we find new intelligence, new awareness, and, and this is what's really wonderful. And then we look back and we say, how did I live my life the other way? This is really beautiful in this new spot. So it's kind of like climbing to a different vista and seeing it. But, you know, when I was teaching psychology, it was always the argument between, well, is it environment or is it heredity? Is it, you know, biology? Is it, well, no, it's, it's both of those things, but with an inspired choice on your part as you take those two factors add your own choice and you rise that's the idea so i i'm gonna put some cards on the table here for the listener who's wondering well is are you telling us this are you sharing this with us just to you know to build my self-esteem to make sure i can feel good hold my head high no, but that might be a side effect of it. But really, the reason that I think this message is so applicable for, for anybody within the sound of our voices is because it improves the world. When we improve ourselves, when we, when we offer one improved unit to society, the world becomes a measurably better place. And, and you can't discount how much that's needed today. Lots of the confusion and you know, angst around us comes from people believing this is never going to get better. Nothing can be done. No, it can, but but it starts closer to home than most of us want to admit. Yes, and that's where you started out with, and you're right about that. You just don't want to get to the end of your life and say, oh, it might have been this way. As the uh, old quote says, uh, for all sad words of tongue and pen, the saddest are these, it might have been. So when we look ourselves in the mirror, it's so it's so difficult to see people look at themselves in the mirror, have dreams, and then not be able to move to those dreams because they're scared 
and it's a risk and it's it's unknown and all those things but i think if they just work on their faith they'll be capacitated to do all kinds of new things that they never thought possible for themselves okay and i'm gonna go here i, I don't mean to drag you kicking and screaming here but i really believe a big part of of this happening in in at least in my own life came down to a, a willingness to approach it from a standpoint of faith and in in, in my case i I, I took this on as a project with my creator. I've took it to God and said, look, if there's something more that I really need to be doing with my life, mm-hmm. I, I need your help to understand what that is. And, and I'm, I'm happy to tell you that there, that's a very viable way for people to learn about it. Now, not everybody believes in God, and that's, that's fine. But if they had that sense of purpose, I'm just suggesting that uh, seeking out and pursuing that purpose Will, will take them to greater heights than, than they would have would have imagined otherwise. But if you are a person of faith, it, it, what's it going to hurt? You know, going to your creator and saying, is there something more I, I could or should be doing? And be prepared. If, if the answer is yes, figure out what it is and start doing it. Or as I said to my students, don't be so prideful as to not be able to look at somebody else and learn from them and use them as a mentor. The concept of God, of course, is the ultimate mentor. But we have lots of people that have gone before us that we can look at. And sometimes they're just heroes in books, in fiction, or real people. But we need to find people that we can get inspired by and become our best self. And that's version A of ourselves. So if you go to climbingupward.com, you'll find some downloads and the whole entire essay is there, as well as some other interesting essays on improving yourself. And and again, I I this I love your perspective on this, John, because I have I've just I've known you, or at least I've I've known a little bit about you, but I'm I'm discovering wow, this guy has a lot of depth and breadth that I didn't even realize. But but I know that uh, this is that you're not asking anybody to do anything you aren't willing and haven't been willing to do yourself. And to me, that's very powerful. Well, I think you have to do that, and and I think we just have to accept that. You know, we cannot eliminate the risk and we cannot eliminate the unknown. We cannot eliminate the the struggle. We cannot eliminate the insecurity. We can't eliminate any of that in in achieving something great within ourselves. I think that's the first thing you have to accept is, hey, this is going to be hard. Okay, John Pulver has been my guest. You are going to come back, right? I would love to come back and talk to you about some other interesting things. We will do it. Thanks again. This is The Brian Hyde Show.